If you have a Bible, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 2. This will be our third and final sermon in the second chapter of the book of Hebrews. So there will be uh, some of what we talk about that will be connected to what we've been talking about. And as you turn there, I'll just give you the title of the message up front, taken from the final point that the author is going to make in this chapter. The title is The Perfect Savior. And we're going to talk about what it looks like to have a view of our relationship to God as mankind where he loves us and he cares for us and he considers us. And what are we that we're even mindful of him? And how he has displayed his great love, not just by a message of prophets or angels, but by a person. And so the message will be the perfect savior. Uh, Before we look at the concept of the perfect savior, we first have to consider what we mean by perfect. And so just for a thought experiment, maybe something that you've already considered and you have a ready answer, maybe something that you'll think about just today for today. But if I asked you to describe your perfect day, what would your perfect day look like? Some of you are like, it's coming to church on Calvary Chapel, Boise and listening to a sermon and, and, uh, going home and having some food and taking a nap. So congratulations, dismissed, if you're already having your perfect day. Uh, I had the privilege of of doing a little bit of surveying, and this is not an uncommon question, so there are a lot of answers that you can find uh, throughout the, the internet that we live in. I'll share with you my favorite one. It says, my idea of a perfect day. I'm a simple person. I just want to wake up next to the love of my life. Go outside to our beachfront cabana (laughs) on a perfectly warm and sunny morning to spend the day with all of my closest friends and family, eating, laughing, and listening to music until dusk turns into the most beautiful sunset sky I have ever seen. Then when I get Back inside, I receive a phone call telling me I've won $10 billion. It's a perfect day. (laughs) Covers all your bases. It's an appropriate view of the framework of perfection because in this perfect day, and most likely your own description of your perfect day, you're not talking about a morally perfect execution of exactly how you were supposed to live that day. What you're actually talking about when you think about perfection is the completion of the day, lacking nothing, having everything you want. Uh, When we use the word perfection, oftentimes we're talking about completion. And they can be synonymous. Perfection means there's nothing lacking. There's nothing left to add. There's nothing that needs to be taken away. And so when we read the final message of this chapter in Hebrews to give us the answer to the fallen state of humanity and the vision of the only thing that you can ever find that is worth giving your whole life to, it is going to give us a picture of a perfect Savior, meaning salvation complete. Meaning in all of the temptation that these people may have had to look somewhere else, for salvation, 
or righteousness or a reconciliation with God. They're leaving what was already completed. And in our execution of the the message or the application of it, the, the book of Hebrews for our time has a similar message that Jesus has completed the work. And in a view of Christ, a relationship of Christ, and a journey with Christ unto eternity, you are walking towards the completion of what God has for your life. And so this is how we come to the idea, the big idea this morning. It starts in verse 10. For it was fitting for him, meaning God, for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. This verse will then essentially be explained in a few different ways for the rest of the chapter, but this is the big idea. God saw it fitting to send his son into the world to make perfect salvation for mankind through his suffering. And in the view that we have of Christ offering perfect salvation, we actually have a completed work. And it is completed in the sense that there is nothing but faith in Christ left for you to do. And it also, as the perfect day would provide for you, gives you everything that you would want or need. The perfect salvation. Now, of course, there is a phrase in here, as we will discover throughout the book of Hebrews, that will cause us to consider what is made when it says that he saw it fit to make the captain of our salvation perfect through suffering. And this is why it is important for us to consider perfection as completion. Jesus was and is and will always be perfect in his moral and unified perfection with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit triune Godhead. He wasn't lacking anything in his moral perfection. He had no sin. He knew no sin. But there was something that God was doing to unite mankind with himself through his Son that was made complete. Think of it in terms that we find also in the book of Hebrews in chapter 12. Looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, endured the shame and the suffering and the death of the cross, despising the shame, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, in ESV, it says the founder and perfecter. In the New King James Version, it says the founder, the author, and finisher. The idea being that faith can be seen in all sorts of people that followed God before Christ, but faith is completed in Christ. He is the one that went all the way to the end, suffered to death, rose again, and now sits completed where we are all destined to go who believe in him. He has finished the work. Here's a way for us to understand it in our own lives as we relate to the perfect Savior through our suffering. James chapter 1. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Trials of suffering. 
Trials of shame, trials of rejection, trials of confusion, trials where things don't always look perfect. And yet, you can know that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. In your own relation to suffering, God is doing something to teach you to endure and to be patient in your suffering so that he completes the process of making you holy. And so in the completed salvation that we have in Christ, we get these amazing things that would, would once again go to that other part of perfection where you have everything you need. You're lacking nothing. So we go back to the beginning of the verse. It says it was fitting for him in bringing many sons to glory. This is the verse that directly follows what could have been a cliffhanger from last week. Remember last week was the the question, what is man? Why does God care so much about this, this being that he made it? He's lower than the angels. He, he has flesh and blood and can die, and yet God favors him amongst all creation. He gives them dominion, and he gives him rule over all of the earth. He says that he puts all things under his feet, and the, and the challenge last week in that promise for humanity was that we look around and we don't see all things under our feet. And so now we have the answer to the cliffhanger that God would become a man to redeem man, to fulfill the purpose of man by suffering unto death to bring many sons to glory. I don't know if you're like me. I already mentioned that that's one of my favorite worship songs and I have always just innately loved that simple phrase that behold the man upon the cross. The father turns his son away or his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. What a beautiful vision that God has for humanity when he sends his son into the world. The whole design is to redeem mankind and bring them back to the glory that he initially planned for them. And to do that, the curse of man is reversed by man himself, the perfect, completed savior. And this passage of scripture, to get to the end of Hebrews chapter two, we could do an, I think we could do an entire conference on all of the theology that comes out from this passage. And I wish we had more time to celebrate and consider and meditate on God's love for mankind, you and me and everyone that he tasted death on behalf of who puts their faith in him. He brings in to say, I want you to know glory. I want you to know the honor that I gave you when I made you in my image. Because this is the answer to so much confusion about the day and age we live in in regards to religion. There is so much confusion as to why we gather in the way that we do to sing our praise, to pass a tithe basket, to sign people up to serve and go on mission, to talk about what the Bible says about moral ethic and how we should live our lives and how husbands should treat wives and how we should parent our kids. And there's so much message that people listen and say, it sounds like you're just trying to control my life. And people 
slowly fade and, as we talked about, drift away from the message of salvation because of all of the things that come secondarily. This is what God has planned for humanity. He doesn't primarily want your good works. He doesn't want your church membership. He doesn't want you to meet him face to face and recite all of the verses you memorized. He doesn't want your money. He wants your glory. That is what God desires and the message that the prophets declared and that Jesus fulfilled is that there is a way, a return for man to, re, to, to be redeemed into the plan of God. And it is that Christ comes perfect in all of his ways to bring many sons to glory. There's another message built into that to give us a completion, lacking nothing, having all that we need and want. And that is in the word sons. It is not simply that God is bringing us in and taking a step back and we try to figure out the experiment of church and eventually the new heavens and the earth without him. The message of God to humanity is that he is creating a family of God. That he wants us to relate to him not as just a power or a force that created the universe and made the universe some sort of benevolent force that has an, an interest in your life. Jesus says, when you pray, pray our Father. The message of salvation is to take those who were dead in sins and make them alive as sons of the Father God. And the author will share with us that this was always the message. Look what it says in verse 11. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Then he quotes, as he often does, and we'll continue our Old Testament survey, probably in every sermon, he quotes the Old Testament, that Jesus is a fulfillment of a cry of the Psalms that the Savior would call the assembly brethren. He says in verse 12, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here I am and the children whom God has given me. Each one of those fulfilled in Jesus' coming. And the author says, this was God's plan all along. We now know that these Psalms meant more than we ever realized. They were, in fact, the Son of God declaring brethren, brotherhood with humanity. I find the first quote to be especially interesting because it comes from Psalm chapter 22. And if you are at all familiar of the messianic or prophetic Psalms pointing to the Messiah's coming and the fulfillment of Christ as the Messiah hanging on the cross, Psalm chapter 22, of course, is something you're familiar with. Because it is the Psalm that Jesus quotes as he's hanging from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and the entirety of the psalm is about suffering, his bones being out of joint, surrounded by dogs, people mocking him. It's a suffering psalm fulfilled in Jesus. And yet at the very end, he says, and now, through my suffering, through the death where the wrath of God is satisfied on the cross of Christ, I call them brethren. Brethren. 
That is such a joyful and glorious gospel good news message. And it is what you want and desire. You are accepted by God because of the sufferings of Christ, not merely as someone who attended the right church and knew the right theology, but God will say, my son, today I am pleased. The sons and daughter of the king, for all of you who believe, are now here singing his praises. And here's something else that is perfect, lacking nothing, what you have always wanted. It says in verse 11, for which reason he is not ashamed to call you brethren. One of the deep desires of the human heart is to be accepted. Have you noticed that? You notice that one of our great fears in life is that we're, people are really going to get to know us or we're going to do something so heinous that people no longer want to accept us, that we'll no longer be brought in in communion and friendship and family and someday we'll have to deal with loneliness and rejection. The core of that feeling is spiritual. The desire of every human heart is actually to be accepted by God. Study history and you are studying the history of of man trying to make right with God. And today we see that God's message to humanity is, I sent my son to dwell among humanity so that they could all be part of the family of God. He is the first son. You are the brothers and sisters. And he's not ashamed of you. I think of, in this moment, a very insignificant and a sliver of an illustration compared to God not being ashamed to call you brethren by the relationship that we have with Christ. I'm coming to the age now with my oldest daughter where, and some of you have already been there, some of you may be doing it now to your parents. We go to school. You know where I'm going with this. We get right up to the curb and I love, one of my favorite parts of the day is to hold her hand and walk her all the way up to her class. And she's now coming to the age where she looks at me and says, I think I'll just walk on my own from here. <laughs> oh, <laughs> she is ashamed of me for some odd reason. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it funny though, that the younger child for whom I have given everything, for whom I would die, and somehow, I look at her and her faults and her failures and her growing up and all of the ways she has to learn to do everything better. And I look at her and I have no shame for who she is as my daughter. And yet she gives us an example of how funny it, we get it all backwards. That God, through Christ, has no shame to call you brethren. And yet sometimes... When it's time to be bold for the name of Christ, what happens? We sometimes feel like a daughter getting walked to school. How many of you go out in public and sometimes it's like, I don't know if I want to pray for the food here. No, I'm going to do the Bible app today. I don't need to carry around that big book, do I? You go on the, the, uh, the plane or you meet the person at the party and the topic of religion comes up and you give all that you can to be a very moderate person. Sometimes we are more ashamed of God than he ever is of us. And in this, we have the perfect vision of a completed savior so that we can know that in the completion of him today, we are accepted. 
no condemnation in Christ. And there is no greater desire of the human heart to be in good standing with God and to proclaim him in the assembly. He is not ashamed to call you brethren. Perfect, lacking nothing. Everything that you need and want. We get another phrase. In bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Now we have a picture of who Christ is as the new Adam, the savior of humanity. It says he is the captain of our salvation. That word captain, it it seems like it's one of those words that every translation of the Bible may have a different word for. So depending on what Bible translation you have this morning, it may or may not say captain. It may say pioneer. Same idea. The one who goes into the depths of the problem of humanity, mainly sin and death, and he goes first to the other side. A picture of the captain. He is the one Forging ahead in the raging seas and the waters, the captain who goes first into the storm. The pioneer, it's the captain who goes first across the river and through the mountains to the new land to set up the land for everyone else. The captain of salvation is the first. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. The first to go to the other side in the new creation. Another translation might say founder. He's the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Meaning he is the one that establishes it. One of the messages for this audience and for us today is that there is no other founder of salvation. This phrase, founder of salvation, gives two fundamental needs to the human heart when it comes to how we are meant to be redeemed. One is that we need to be saved. We need salvation fundamentally before we need anything else. The Bible says we are in fact dead in our sins. And when you leave Christ, you are leaving the message of God's plan for salvation. If they leave him for the law, they will be left as the captain of their own salvation and they will be left wanting. You will not save yourself. And another thing that seems to be a desperate desire of the human heart is to find your founder. Seems as though every group of people or every subset of category that you can find yourself will look for a founder or a leader or a captain as the hope of whatever you put your heart into. The Hebrews had the founder or the one that helped establish the law in the angels and Moses. They had their nationality in Jacob becoming Israel. They had the founder of the nation. They had the founder of the kingdom in David. In the ushering in of the Holy Spirit, some people look to Peter as the founder of the church. Others look to Luther as the founder of the Protestant Reformation. Others look to the founder of their own denomination as the person that they can trust with the the needs they have for clarity from the Bible and from, from their view of God. 
And yet, anyone you look to, apart from the founder of salvation, whether they found a denomination, whether they found a movement, whether they found a business, whether they found a new sect, they are incomplete in their ability to save. And one of the messages that must be proclaimed for our time is that there is only one founder, captor, pioneer of the salvation that you should ever look to or trust with your entire life. We are living in a wake of church history where so many founders have been exposed as incomplete and imperfect. And in all the ways there is confusion for our age, people look to the confusion of the person they thought was the captain that fell or confused them or hurt them. And the message of Hebrews is there's only one perfect captain of salvation. Jesus came and lived the perfect life and he suffered on a cross to establish the completed salvation, you need to look for no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. It says, because we see Jesus in verse nine, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for every one Only Jesus can die for your sins. Only Jesus lived a life that can be exchanged, his righteousness for yours. And if you make the mistake of looking unto Jesus and then drifting to anything else, you are following an incomplete plan for the salvation of your soul. And then it says this, verse 10 the captain of their salvation make, made perfect through suffering. Made complete through his suffering. To enter into humanity and to have compassion and mercy and save the redemption for humanity, to bring back humanity to God's proper place of glory and honor, he had to actually go into humanity, which meant taking on flesh and blood, nerve and pain, suffering and death. Look what it says in verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. It was by taking on flesh and blood that God himself, the author of life, would now be able to, through death, defeat death. John Owens once famously said, the death of death by the death of Christ. 
Here's how Augustine puts it. Man's maker was made man so that the ruler could serve, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the way be tired on its journey, the truth accused of false witness, the teacher be beaten, the foundation be suspended on wood, the healer might be wounded, that life might die, that death would be conquered. This is the completed salvation. Because the ultimate enemy is sin and death. And for your salvation to ever have assurance, for you, ever, for you to ever be able to stand in the grace of God and hear it is finished, the final enemy must be dealt with. You can wrestle with your own righteousness or your own ideas for what life is all about, all of you want, but all you want, but there is a shadow of intimate death that hangs over every single one of our heads. And as believers, although we still see death reigning, we now see a picture of death defeated. This message is in some ways Christmas and Easter all in one. We have God sending his son to take on human flesh and we have the power of death defeated. And look what comes with that. In your perfect salvation, here is the gift that is offered to you. That he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. The final enemy can accuse the brethren and can taunt you can shame you and can you give you guilt and fear because over your head hangs the enemy of death. It seems that we live in a strange time. If we had to guess the trends that would have been happening now, no one I don't think would have guessed that the church of Satan would actually be growing. That more and more people are interested in dark magic or spells or manifestation and look to Satan not as the wise and cunning murderer from the beginning as the Bible describes, but the one who brings light, knowledge to humankind. Satan is in fact a murderer. Jesus says this thief comes to kill and to steal and to destroy and he is more cunning than any other animal in, in the created garden. And so people have a temptation to leave the God who sends his son to make many sons glorious for the idea that you yourself could be your own God. It is a lie from Satan that will lead to death. And yet today we stand and declare that that lie and that power has been defeated We taunt death. It is not a burden for me to walk the family of God or the people of God or the loved ones of the sons of glory through the funeral. Because our salvation is complete. It is lacking nothing. We have an answer that eternity awaits those who have put their faith in Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. 
But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, completed through sufferings, the death on the cross, victory through the resurrection. Do not let this be preaching 101, as if this message is so elementary for you that you are not completely overjoyed the joy of your salvation that you have been revealed to you the plan of God to redeem you beyond the grave. The captain of your salvation has gone into death and death did not hold him. He has risen again. He sits at the right hand of the Father and the same spirit that was in him is now available to all who believe and we are the people of God who praise in the midst of a death and dying world. And here's another gift from your completed Savior. And it says, And release those through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. If this message is something that truly, as we sang, you believe with all of your heart, you have been released from the bondage of the shadow of death that clearly plagues humanity. Think of all the things that we do to avoid thinking about or accepting the reality of death itself. There is a growing desire for the health and wellness movement to push the age of the average death way beyond what it used to be. So if you take your vitamins and you exercise and don't eat sugar and, God forbid, do Botox... There is a movement to say, we, we've got to try to defeat this or push it back or, or cover up ourselves with makeup and beauty to deny that we're going gray and we're all getting old and the outward man is perishing because humanity does not want to admit that every person is destined to die. And yet we come here and think about what we're about to do. We're about to hold the body and the blood of Christ as a symbol for the bread and the cup. And the word says that we do this as often as we gather to proclaim his death. We think about it every time we gather. We talk about it all the time. Disciples, pick up your cross and follow your instrument of death. Paul said, I die daily. We celebrate the death of God through his son every Easter. We meditated on Good Friday to consider the death he died in our place. And the shackles have been broken. Now, don't hear me wrong. You're, 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 you're human. You're going to fear the process of death. There's certain prayers I have. I hope it's never by alligator, so I'm in a safe place. That would be horrible to be eaten alive. <laughs> But the state of death, I have no fear in. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The dead in Christ will rise first and we will meet him in the air. Your salvation is complete. You no longer have to wonder if you're good enough, if you're wise enough, if you've done enough. The captain of your salvation the beginning and the end, the author and the finisher is sitting at the right hand of the Father preparing a place like a pioneer on your behalf. 
And the message is, he did it all by suffering. One of the great ways that you know someone loves you. In fact, the covenant of love that we mostly share now between man and woman is to say, I will suffer with you. If you get sick, I'll be there. If we're poor, I won't leave you. In the challenges of life, until death do us part, I will suffer. And God, to display his love to mankind, did not wave a wand to release the penalty of sin and come up with some other way. He said, I will suffer with you. That through suffering, And remember the theme of the book. There are those who are going through trial and difficulty and suffering, bearing the name of Christ. There are those who are wondering if, if they've really been called by God to follow Jesus. Is this what this life is about to suffer? Maybe it'd be easier to go back to what we know, the law and animal sacrifice and, and the temple. Maybe it would be easier to go back to a life where you can just live for pleasure, not think about death, be the captain of your own life. And the, the author of the Hebrews is saying that it was by suffering that he was completed. It was fitting for him. It was right it was according to God's plan that Christ suffered to be called the captain of salvation and to call you the sons of glory. Do not let suffering allow your heart to doubt God. Do not let the difficulties of this life create any confusion about what God is doing to complete you. He suffered with you. As we prepare our hearts for communion, I'll leave you with this one, these two verses to finish the chapter. It says, Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brother, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make propitiation or to appease the punishment, the sins of the people, for he himself has suffered. Being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. He now lives as the mediator between man, humankind, and God. And as he has suffered, there is nothing that you're going through that he cannot relate to flesh and blood suffering. We'll talk more about the theme of the high priest. It'll be one of the great themes that we look at for the next couple weeks. So for today, we'll just consider he suffered for you so that you can be called a son of glory. God loves you. Who are you that he is mindful of you? You are worth dying for. And in Christ, we see the author and the finisher of our salvation completed in him. 